So RUF is a place that is here to care for you, but also to care for App State as a whole. So our mission is to reach you with the love of Jesus. And we want to equip you to be better able to reflect that love to Boone and to App. Because we really believe and we want to see the kingdom of God come here at Boone or in Boone or at App State. We believe the gospel is that powerful. And the way that we access the power of the gospel is through faith. Is through faith, which is a good setup for reading this passage tonight. Mark 9, 14 through 29. And the setup here is that Jesus is coming down the mountain with uh, a couple of his other followers, and they're returning to the crowds and the other followers of Jesus. And it says, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with him, and immediately all the crowd, when they saw Jesus, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And Jesus answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, the spirit came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This is God's word. There was was a movement in the 1980s, and I think it's still kind of around, and it was called the Power Team. And the Power Team were a, a group of Christians that they would go to different high schools around the country. And these were big weightlifters, beefy guys. What they do is they, they would go into high school auditoriums you know, filled with high school students in order, order to encourage high school students toward good behavior, but also apparently to show them the power of faith. The power team would go up on stage and they would take like a phone book and one of the guys would say, behold, the power of faith, and they would tear a phone book in half. Or they would take a frying pan and say, behold, the power of faith, and fold the frying pan with their, with their own hands. And all things like that. They would, you know, light bricks on fire and smash them with their heads, fold one another in half, um, fold existence in half, behold, the power of faith. 
And if, if you are a former uh, member of the power team and you're listening in, uh, or if, you're, if you at some point hear this message, I want you to know I'm not, the point of this is not to poke fun at the power team. But I think, I mean, I imagine when we think about the power team, it seems maybe a little bit silly to us. But I do think that this vision of what faith is, that faith is about believing hard enough. And the more faith you have, the more powerful your faith is. That the power of faith is really about how much you can conjure up. I I think this speaks to the way that we want faith to work. Because we want everything to work in terms of power. If we can have more power, more control, that seems really attractive to us. That if I can really, you know, work up my own resources, my own power, I can achieve. I can get what I want. What's unattractive is a view of faith that is weak, dependent, needy, lacking control, having to rely on something outside of yourself. What's so interesting and challenging is that that is the view or vision of faith that the gospel presents us with. It's a faith that is needy and weak and desperate and relying on something outside of ourselves entirely. And again, what's so interesting and so important is that the Bible tells us that faith is God's gift to us that allows us to access his power in our lives. The power of experiencing him for who he is, experiencing his love, experiencing change. For any of that, we need faith. But here's what we see from Mark 9. is that faith is weak and powerful. Faith is weak and faith is powerful. And so I want to explain this by, by looking at two kinds of faith that we see in Mark 9. One, faith in faith. Two, faith in God. Faith in faith and faith in God. So first, let's look at faith in faith. What does that mean? Well, it becomes pretty clear as we work into this passage that something is wrong with the disciples' faith. So Jesus comes to this crown. This is a huge argument going, going on. And when he, he finds out what it is, it's that there is this man whose son is afflicted by a spirit by some kind of demonic power. And before I move on, I mean, this, when we come to things like this, so often this makes us think, okay, this is another piece of evidence that the Bible is ridiculous or it's just a bunch of fables and, and legends. And because, I mean, here, it, is this attributing all illness to spiritual or demonic activity? The Bible affirms that there are spirits at work in the world or there is a spiritual reality in the world. And there are forces or agencies at work that would afflict and hurt God's people and God's creation. But the Bible doesn't want us to see demons under every single rock or behind every illness. It affirms both of these things, that there is there are spiritual realities, but also we shouldn't see demonic forces everywhere around us or as the cause of every single bad thing we see in the world. I mean, there's such a long conversation to be had about the Bible's view of spirits and demons. Love to have that conversation. But the thing to see here is that the, that Mark is affirming that this boy is, a, he's afflicted by a spirit. 
This spirit, it makes him convulse. It makes him mute. It throws him into fire and water. It seeks to harm him. But what what has gone wrong here? We see there in verse 18 that the man tells Jesus, I asked your disciples or your followers to cast out the spirit, and they were not able. He asked them, please help my son. And the, the followers of Jesus tried, and they couldn't do it. And so Jesus responds in verse 19 with exasperation. He says, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? He is saying his own followers and the crowds, they lack faith. Well, what is the problem with their faith? Is it that they just, they're not believing hard enough? Their faith isn't powerful in itself enough? doesn't seem so. I mean, the, the followers of Jesus, they, they probably saw Jesus. I mean, they've seen Jesus perform miracles. So they're probably thinking, okay, I've seen it done. I've seen the model. I've seen Jesus' power. And so now I've got it. It's time to show the power of faith. I mean, it's likely that maybe they were, you know, they passionately thought we can do this. So what's the problem? We look at verse 29. After Jesus has healed the boy and his disciples ask him, why couldn't we do it? He says to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The implication being Jesus' followers, they tried to perform a miracle without praying. They tried to utilize God's power with their own power. Thinking, you know, we've got, I think I've seen them do it. It's like watching a cooking show and I've got the method. Now it's time for me to do it. Time for me to crack some spiritual eggs. But it doesn't work. It doesn't matter how passionate or how strong their, their faith was in that moment. Their faith was ineffective. There is, um, there's a movie, and I showed it to Carissa and Sarah recently, called Rudy. And it's one of my favorite movies. I love sports movies. And, and the, the movie is about this, this guy named Rudy. He's five foot nothing, 100 nothing pounds. And he is a, he's not a good student, and he's not a good athlete. This is actually based on a true story, but he decides a couple years after he's graduated from high school that he wants, he wants to go to Notre Dame, and he wants to play football for the Notre Dame football team. And throughout the movie, he's working as he's as conjuring up all of his passion and his grit. And then and finally he gets into Notre Dame and then he, he walks onto the football team. And through his own grit and passion and faith and his own grit and passion, he is able to convince the team to, to go into the coach's office and lay down their jerseys and say, I want Rudy to take my place. It's this really moving moment. Uh, the, you know, in the power of Rudy's faith. But I also really love SNL did a send-up skit uh, called Robbie. And in this skit, this guy named Robbie, who's also five foot nothing, a hundred nothing, and he's really inspired his team. Uh, and he, you know, they want to let him onto the field. They want him to play. And the coach says, okay, I'm going to let you play, but you have to run through the biggest player on the team. And then the skit immediately cuts to, to the kind of exact same scene from, from Rudy, where Rudy is being inspired by this, this uh, facility manager at the stadium who you know, inspires him to keep working hard. But in the skit, Robbie's talking to this guy and he says, you know, you're five foot nothing, a hundred and nothing, you know, but dang it, you've got passion. And he pauses. Unfortunately, passion doesn't matter at this level. This is D1. You're going to get stomped. 
And they cut back to the skit, and Robbie, he runs as hard as he can uh, to the biggest player on the team, and then he just gets thrown like a hollowed-out stuffed animal back against the locker, and his body is just shattered. And it's such, I think it's hilarious, and it's this really funny kind of, like, turn of, it doesn't matter how passionate Robbie was. He was never going to be a, a great Notre Dame football player. It doesn't matter how much faith he had in himself. It's not the measure of faith that makes the difference. This is true within this passage. This is true within our lives. That it's not the measure of your faith or how much faith you have that really it makes the difference in the end. But how often do we put the emphasis on how much faith I have? The measure of my faith. I mean, this is the way things work in, in the rest of our lives, that if I want to get something, then I need to really you know, like derive from my own personal internal resources, my gifts, my energy, my time. If I work hard enough, then I can get it. Or maybe I need to leverage um, my contacts to get into an internship or to get into another school, to leverage one friend to get another friend. But this is the way we think it works. Uh, what matters is how much passion I put into it, how much faith I have in myself, how much power I have to draw from. And so if I feel at distance from God, what I may end up thinking is, okay, what I need is more faith. I've got to believe harder. I've got to know more. I've got to read more books. I've got to read the Bible more, and all these things may be good. I've got to do more. But what this ends up being is faith in your faith. Trust in your trust. Faith in, in the spiritual resources that you can draw from or how much, the, how much you can do, how much you can, can work. But you may have faith in your knowledge, in your knowledge of the Bible, your knowledge of theology, but that in itself is powerless. Powerless to give you close intimacy with God or for, to, to experience his love and his powerful change at work in your life. I mean, you may have, you may think that faith is ridiculous. And so you, the way you construct part of your identity is, you know, I'm not one of those religious kind of stupid people who put their faith in things that they can't see. And that's what protects me or that's what you know gives me a sense of some kind of sense of superiority was well, it possible that what you're doing is putting your faith in a lack of faith and as powerful as cynicism may feel in a moment it really can't it, all it can do is deconstruct and destroy it can't actually build you some kind of lasting identity or purpose but either way faith in faith no matter how much faith you have in your faith, it's not in the end powerful. In the end, it's just weak. So that's the first thing. But secondly, let's look at faith in God. Okay, so there's something wrong with the the disciples' faith, but there's also something wrong with the Father's faith and the story. So we see in verse 22, he says to Jesus, if you can do anything have compassion on us and help us. So he is, he is not confident. He's not sure of what Jesus can do. But he says, if you can do anything, please help us. Clearly, he's desperate. And what does Jesus say to him? See there in verse 23. If you can, all things are possible for one 
who believes. When we read that initially, that might sound like a power team kind of thing. You just got to believe harder. You got to believe more. But one thing that's, I think, really helpful is that the way this is written here, Jesus may be talking about himself when he talks about the one who believes. Jesus perfectly trusted his father in heaven. And through his trust in his father, he was able to perfectly able to do all things, able to heal the sick, even to raise the dead. But Jesus, I think, is also referring to this man here and anyone who would believe. All things are possible for the one who believes in me. Because all things are possible with me or for me. If your faith is in me, all things are possible. Everything you need is given to you. But this man, how does he respond to Jesus? In verse 24, let's look here. And this is the real heart of the passage. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. He is not confident. He is shaky. He's not sure of himself. He is desperate. And so when he says, I believe, that the second thing there really is kind of defining what he means by I believe. I believe, I trust. Help my unbelief. I'm trusting you in the midst of my lack of trust. I'm moving toward you as my feet are shaking underneath me. That's the kind of belief he has. And how does Jesus respond to him? He asks for compassion. And what does Jesus give him? Compassion and power. Jesus commands the unclean spirit in verse 25 to come out of him. And this boy is healed. Jesus shows this man and his family compassion and power. Yes, there's something wrong with this father's faith. It's, it's desperate. It's not complete. It's shaky. It's really fragile. It's exhausted. It's scared. It's, it's terrified even. But what's right about it? It's faith in Jesus. And that makes all the difference. There's a great illustration, a guy named Les Newsom, who was long time ago, no offense, Les, uh, a campus minister with RUF at Ole Miss. And he talks about the difference between, let's say you're looking at a a frozen lake, but the the frozen layer is only about half an inch thick. If you're totally passionate and confident, I got this, and you step out onto the lake, what's going to happen? The ice just shatters and you fall in. Let's imagine you are are really timid and, and really cautious stepping out onto a frozen lake where the frozen layer is two feet thick. You may be cautious, you may, you may lack passion, and you may, you may lack surety, but as you step onto it, what's going to happen? You are secure. You're safe. I mean, I don't know how often we go like walking around frozen lakes, but like to put it in like more common language, it is better in some ways, as blasphemous as this sounds in my head, it is better in some ways to be a really timid Alabama football fan than to be a fiery Tennessee fan, which I am. Because the fiery Tennessee fan is disappointed and ultimately insecure over and over again, where it's the kind of, you know, like tepid, like eh, whatever, it's, you know, football's just a game. Kind of Alabama fan is pretty continually satisfied or very often upheld in their belief that their team is good. It's the object of your faith that makes all the difference, not the measure of your faith. It's the object of your faith. 
Powerful faith in a weak object leads to dissatisfaction and insecurity. You may have complete powerful faith that a romantic relationship is going to give you a transcendent experience and it's really going to elevate your life and give you so much more meaning. But it doesn't really matter how much powerful faith you pour into it. In the end, it can't give you that because it doesn't matter how good it is. It's a weak object. It's ultimately weak. Can't give you salvation. But you may have powerful faith in, in your knowledge of, of how to defend the Bible. Maybe you're someone who can defend the reliability of the Bible, or you can defend the existence of God. You know the arguments, and you know the counterarguments, and you know how to defend the resurrection of Jesus. But if your powerful faith is in your ability to defend Christianity, it will ultimately leave you, you leave you dissatisfied and insecure because that cannot give you intimacy with God. And it can't assure you that God loves you. Weak faith, on the other hand, in a strong object, even just a seed of faith in a strong object, leaves you ultimately satisfied and secure. If you have weak faith in Jesus, that's a powerful faith. If you have weak faith in Jesus, that is a powerful faith. And it's powerful because Jesus is strong. He is perfectly able to take your weak, fragile, shaky faith and to work his power through it. And even more than that, he delights to work through weak faith. He delights to give his love and himself to weak people like me. And so what kind of faith is Jesus asking you for? He's asking you for the I believe, help my unbelief. I'm not confident. I'm so often unsure. I don't know so many things, and yet I will trust you. Um, I don't know what the future is going to hold, and, and, and often I just feel like I'm holding on by a thread. But I will keep moving forward toward you. That is the faith that Jesus wants. That's the faith that he delights to work through, that he delights to pour his power into, to give you, like this boy, new life, to bring healing to shame and to bitterness. And he delights to work through the the amazing thing is that when we come to him with this weak kind of faith, that's when Jesus, over time, is able to grow your faith. He is the one who has the power to give you a greater measure of faith as he works in you. And it starts with weakness, though. It doesn't start with your power. It starts with weakness relying on his power. You know, I would say more than anything, that the, key, the thing that keeps us away from coming to Jesus with weak faith is this sense or fear that if I come to him the way I am now, fragile and broken as I am, then in the end, he's really just going to turn away from me. There's this, I think, really powerful scene in the movie Silence, which came out a couple years ago about these missionaries who go to Japan and they interact, these are priests and, and missionaries and they are interacting with this man whose family were all martyred by the Japanese government because they refused to deny their faith. But he denied his faith and so he was spared while his family were burned at the stake. And this, this man, this Japanese man, is, his faith is so weak and, and in the book, the, the author gives us a perspective into, into the, the priest who is looking at him. And, and his initial perception of this man is that he's kind of disgusted by him, by this weak faith. But when 
this man, he, he, he's talking and looking for absolution or forgiveness from this priest. He says, when I saw you, I started to believe that God might take me back. Because the flames that I always see, they just seem to look a little bit more dim. When Jesus looks at your weak faith, he doesn't look at you with disgust, but with delight. And he has extinguished the flames of judgment and condemnation and shame through his death for you and for, with his resurrection from the dead. That when you come to him in weakness, he is powerfully able to love you and to give you all good things. So let me pray and we'll continue to worship.